and we had all been writing letters to the federal government demanding answers and help and recognition, research, anything, and we weren't getting anywhere. And so at that point, we realized that we had to go public. So being a left-leaning individual that listened to NPR, <laughs> I started with NPR. I started with CNN. I started with NBC, CBS, New York Times. That's where we started. And we uh, sent them messages. We emailed them. We interviewed with them. We sent them medical records. We sent them scientific articles, everything they needed. And we just kept being told that they can't make the vaccines look bad. Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey, everyone. It's Robin Openshaw. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. And let's just get right into it. Welcome to the show, Brianne Dressen. Thanks for having me. So a lot of people know your face. And they might know a little bit about your story, but can you just start from the beginning, like December 2020? And for people who haven't met you online before, tell us about what happened. So uh, November 4th, 2020, I uh, gladly enrolled in a clinical trial here in the United States for AstraZeneca. And I got my shot on November 4th. And within an hour, I had tingling down my arm. And the tingling spread throughout my body over the uh, ensuing weeks. Uh, the day of my shot, um, I had double vision. So instead of one TV, there were two TVs stacked. And I had sound sensitivity issues. So it sounded like I had seashells on both ears. Within the next two and a half weeks, I landed in the hospital um, because my legs had stopped working and I had become incontinent. I also had... Um, extreme food intolerances. I lost over 20 pounds. Um, I was this close to getting a feeding tube. Um, it was, it was a nightmare. Uh, I had the extreme blood pressure fluctuations, heart rate fluctuations. Uh, I lost two layers of skin, two different times. I lost clumps of hair. Um, I had a growth grow off of my face right here and I had to go get that surgically removed. Um, there's a whole lot of things It seemed like my entire body just malfunctioned and everything disconnected. And I was stuck in this um, state where my body was being electrocuted 24-7. And I was like that for over a year. Uh, the electrical sensations just in the last week, week and a half have finally died down to a manageable level. So I'm very relieved with the improvement that I've had, but also it's been a very long 16 months. And I still have to you know, manage my symptoms every day. So one day I could be up walking around and the next day I'm going to be in my bed sick as you know, most people suffering with chronic illness understand. So yeah, so that's just the beginning of my story. <laughs> of course, there's all the other layers that ensued after that, but. Yeah, I for sure understand it. Having spent, um, as I've told you, four years in bed after a different pharmaceutical injection. And then the, you know, I started my blog People who've been following Green Smoothie Girl for 16 years probably don't remember that the second blog post I ever wrote was about why I stopped vaccinating my kids. And back then you didn't, you know, you weren't like dropping a bomb in your life by saying something like that. You you could talk about it. Um, just the other day I saw a Phil, an old Phil Donahue story uh, show where he was interviewing uh, Dr. Robert Mendelson. 
who wrote a book that changed my life when I was a young mother. And it was called um, How to Raise a Healthy Child Despite Your Pediatrician. And mm-hmm. he is he was a pediatrician. He's uh, He's passed on now. But he sort of gave me permission to ask questions that you're not supposed to ask because, you know, you see all these people out there who are super, super pro-vax. Um, as you clearly were going into November 2020, um, who the, the main gaslighting technique seems to be, you don't know anything. Are you a doctor? <laughs> right. Uh, what what kind of... Right. What kind of, uh, but, you, but it, you know, it was on the Phil Donahue show and Dr. Robert Mendelson was there saying, I, I wouldn't recommend any child get any of these vaccines. That would never, ever be allowed on a mainstream media outlet like that. So there's lots to ask you here. I mostly want, I think everyone wants to know how you're doing. You are discussed out there by people who you've never met, who worry about you and know your story. Uh, I'm so pleased to hear that you're in that two steps forward. This is what my healing journey was two step forward, one step back. And I've told you and Cherie Romney, listen, you will get better. Like you are through the worst of it. It, But it, it feels when you're trapped in a week and a month and a year where you're so sick, it feels like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get better. And that's, that's the depression that kicks in, right? The depression right. had to be a big part of it. Yeah. The depression was pretty substantial. Um, and it was strange because, you know what, you know, I'm 40. So in years past, yeah, I had been, had blue moments in my life and, you know, it felt down and this was a whole other animal. I mean, when, when your brain is vibrating all the time, um, to the point where you can't see straight, uh, you can't think straight, you can't eat because you're so nauseous because your body is just attacking itself. Um, you have no choice but to just try to breathe. And so I spent weeks and months literally just, okay, I just need to breathe in and breathe out. And I did that minute by minute for months. And then it was finally calmed down a little bit in May. So I went from November to May, just in this nightmare. And then in May, things started to release a little bit and I was able to start functioning you know, hour by hour and then day by day. And when we realized uh, just how extensive the problem was, you know, in April and May, because by then there, uh, we had found close to four or 5,000 of us by that point. And we had all been writing letters to the federal government, demanding answers and help and recognition, research, anything. And we weren't getting anywhere. And so at that point, we realized that we had to go public. So being a left-leaning individual that listened to NPR, <laughs> I started with NPR, I started with CNN, I started with NBC, CBS, New York Times. That's where we started. And we uh, sent them messages, we emailed them, we interviewed with them, we sent them medical records, we sent them scientific articles, everything they needed. And we just kept being told that they can't make the vaccines look bad. Uh, which, you know, obviously is a injustice, not just to us, but to everybody in the world, you know, because what are we? without, you know, hard facts, without data, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Uh, You know, my long philosophy on this all along has been, you know, the laws of nature are going to do what they're going to do. It doesn't matter whether we lie about it or not. So we might as well uh, research it and discuss it openly and objectively. 
Um, and unfortunately, the opposite has happened. So, you know, we didn't make this a, a political issue. We didn't make this a right-wing thing. They did. We had nothing to do with the narrative. Uh, the only thing we wanted to do was to get well and to get our stories out, period. And so, you know, we did everything we could. And we're still sick nobodies, just trying to help other sick nobodies. You know, I was left-leaning myself for a long time. And it's been very strange for me to see that my body, my choice doesn't, for some reason, come into this decade. Is that troubling to you? <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, I, I find uh, there, there's a lot of irony that's that's happening right now. Um, you know, my husband, he's a scientist. The first thing we did is we started reaching out to scientists throughout the world. Uh, I sent my blood to Germany in December of 2020, and it came back with a whole slew of problems. One in particular was anti-neuronal autoantibodies. So I had neurons, you know, autoantibodies that were attacking my neurons. And the German scientist said, you need to get plasmapheresis, IVIG, some kind of immunotherapy to stop that. And of course, I took that back to my doctors here. And they had already pegged me with anxiety. And of course, they didn't want to look at the science and the research that had been done. And so I didn't get the immunotherapy that I needed. And so I just continued to decline for months because of it. The NIH also evaluated me and uh, several others. And they promised us for months that they were going to disclose the research to the public. And that, as you know, has not happened. Um, and they have since gone dark uh, on the vaccine-injured cohort. And so that's been really unfortunate to see as well. Uh, we are still hopeful that there will be someone out there that will, you know, rise to the occasion and do the right thing, um, you know, and help us get this, the word out. And it's people like yourself, really, that are, you know, grassroots that are you know, boots on the ground kind of people that are really going to be the difference in this fight. Yeah. My best friend of like for 41 years, um, since the first day of seventh grade, um, we've just been in this dialogue for two years now. And she says she doesn't know anybody it's not happening to. And, um, I say, I, I think you need to look around at all the people with neurological disease, heart attack and stroke, because there's only 1.3 or 4 million adverse events, even though they pounce on a healthcare provider. She says, oh, VAERS doesn't matter because anybody can report. I'm like, well, but 85% of them who do report are healthcare workers and they have to put their medical license on it. And they get a call. And it's not a friendly call. And most of the time, the people they report get removed from the database. What are, you know, so I, I, I'm staying in dialogue with her partly as just an experiment to see if somebody who is so committed to what the media tells me is true, it can't possibly be true if it's not in the New York Times and or the New York Times can't possibly be wrong. You know, and it it does, if you've never entertained it before, it does seem very unlikely and very strange that everybody who works for the New York Times, nobody will say a counter narrative when it looks so seamless and it looks so smooth. Why, why would you question it? And I think I've heard you say 
I don't think I would believe someone. Oh, and, hands down. Hands down. If this didn't happen to me, I wouldn't have believed it. Had I not had a front row seat to the whole circus, I would not have believed it. Like, to be totally honest and frank, you know, I would have been still in the whole, you know, trust the science, we're going to be resilient, the whole thing. But I myself have talked to three New York Times reporters, and they have all told me they cannot run it. So you do have empathetic, sympathetic reporters all over the country, the ones that do go against the news desks, that do go against the editors and their directors, they get fired. They're out of a job. So yeah, money speaks and money speaks loudly. Um, there also is some emerging you know, allegations that the federal government is very involved in uh, promoting vaccination and ensuring that only positive uh, messaging on the COVID vaccines is relayed through mainstream media outlets, including Fox News. Um, that's going to be coming out in future affidavits. Um, I believe it 1000% because I've seen it with my own eyes and it has not just been New York Times. It's been Fox News. It's been Newsmax even. Um, and it's tragic because, because we're not talking about it. We have people that are suffering, that are literally dying. Um, the medical community, they see it in the hospitals, but they don't entirely understand what they're looking at. Um, the FDA and the CDC have been on plenty of meetings with them and they just pretend like this is news to them. Um, you wrote Janet Woodcock and actually got a response, didn't you? Do, you? do you think it's weird that Rochelle Walensky was a university professor at Yale and suddenly ended up the head of the CDC? And wasn't Janet Woodcock like a school teacher? And she's the acting FDA director. Did, she interacted I with think, you some. Oh, yeah, definitely. So Janet Woodcock is a physician of some sort. Um, she, uh, I'm not entirely sure what kind of physician she is, though. But I do know that um, in my interaction with her from the beginning, they were like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to let people know. Just give us a couple more weeks and we'll figure this out. And, of course, that never happened. Uh, and then, you know, Peter Marks with the head of biologics, we've worked, tried to work a lot with them. We've sent them batches of researchers across the country that are working on this secretly because they're afraid if they talk about this publicly, they'll be alienated by the scientific community and by their research institutions and that they will lose their licenses. Um, so we've been trying to be very respectful and, and, you know, ensure that, you know, there is some kind of research happening. It's just tragic that this is the United States of America, you know, like freedom of speech. Where is that? Uh, if people, if medical professionals can't even talk to each other about the issue that they are seeing in their clinics and in their hospitals, there is something wrong. If we have mainstream media outlets, fringe outlets, whatever, they can't even talk about what they're seeing. There is something wrong. So there is multiple, at multiple levels, there is something wrong with this whole picture. Um, I think it's our job to point that out, uh, make sure that we, you know, that we speak the truth and that we help those that need help. Because to be honest, like these are all sick people, as you understand, I mean, people with chronic illness, they only have so much energy every day. So expecting sick people to be the ones to fight and to figure this out on our own. Um, I don't think that's very reasonable, you know, um, and these are people that have lost their jobs. So if they're out of money. They're out of time. They're out of resources. Um, a lot of them are in very desperate situations right now. 
Yeah, that's one of the things I find so extraordinary about you is that you've suffered this much and yet you fly to Washington, D.C. and you were a big part of putting that first Ron Johnson roundtable that I bet woke up hundreds of thousands, if not a million or more people, because, I mean, Ron Johnson's a U.S. senator and people around that table were people from all walks of life, all ages, most of them in the prime of their lives some of them competitive athletes, and you looked so normal. Has that been a challenge for you too? I know it was really, I just stopped talking about my vaccine injury. I never took it to a doctor because I was like, well, I don't think that the people who trust this product and are pushing it on people, and I keep finding out about other people who are injured by it, but no one's talking about it. I didn't really trust them, so I kind of went out on my own figured out how to get well, probably, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they could have done for me, but, um, I think what was so hard about it is that I look normal. There's nothing about how I looked that conveyed how sick I was. And so it was this shameful, awful thing that I spent most of every day in bed. Have you had pushback from people like, well, you look good because you're beautiful and you're articulate and you don't, you don't act or look like someone who feels like my brain is misfiring, my whole neurological system's on fire, et cetera. Oh yeah. Um, you know, for the amount of love and support that we get, and and I definitely I've had a lot of people that are, you know, are you a real person? You know, uh, we've been called all things in the book imaginable. Uh the invisible illness part is very interesting to me. Um, because people I mean, we do look fine, uh, but what people don't see, especially for those that went to the Ron Johnson event, they saw us all sitting there around a table. They didn't see Maddie like wheeling over to the back of the room to lay on a bunch of chairs because she couldn't sit through the whole thing. They didn't see that three of the people were shaking so hard under the table that they could barely hold on. Um, at Ron Johnson's January 24th event underneath the table, I was not doing well. Um, physically my legs were shaking under the table and on top I was had my arms folded and I was holding on to them just to keep them from shaking um the advocacy and the travel is extremely hard on our bodies um but the camera isn't going to catch that we go from laying flat in the hotel getting you know whatever room service or whatever and then we get up and we do what needs to be done because we know that the word needs to get out. We know how important it is to put ourselves out there and just tell people what's really happening. And that comes with a price. And that's definitely impeded my own healing um, and the healing of many others. So I know that it's very easy to look from uh, a perspective from the outside looking in where you haven't lived it, you haven't experienced it, you haven't had to endure that situation and to, you know, Sure. The first thing that pe- some people do is is they they look from the outside and they they meet it with judgment, you know, because that's what's been uh, we've allowed that to be the initial reaction to anything that's tied to a negative um, narrative to any vaccine, right? So we've been socially conditioned we've been socially conditioned to judge what we're hearing instead of actually listening. You know, people are always saying don't judge. And I'm like, well, actually, technically we have to judge to survive all day, every day. So, Mm -hmm. but it's really interesting to observe this human tendency to need to put things in file folders. 
I remember when I got divorced and it was kind of on this public stage because that's when Green Smoothie Girl was very early on the internet when the internet was new. And I was out doing hundreds of speaking tours and my getting a divorce, everybody wanted to file folder it. You know, did he cheat? Was he a porn addict? Did you, you know, and I was just like, it was, it was, if you Googled my name, the number one thing that people would type in is Robin Openshaw divorce and everyone, you know. I have seen this and I, I don't know if it makes you feel any better. That's not personal is that everybody just wants to put it in a file folder. They want to understand why. And then they want to put it away. They want to put it in the file file cabinet uh, as in is Brie dressing crazy or is she lying? <laughs> right? right. Because it, you have to be crazy or lying. And I don't, I don't usually think in binaries, but either you're crazy or you're lying for me to feel good about the two or three injections that I got that I don't want to examine and I don't want to feel bad about. So I don't, I don't right, think it's Because if it's true, I, yeah, I really appreciate you saying that because if it is true, then you're going to like anyone with a moral compass is going to look at what's actually happening. And if they do acknowledge the truth, they're going to go, crap, I've got to do something about this. I can't let this happen to good people. So if, it's a lot easier at, to judge it file it away, put it yeah, in the corner, little box. If there was one thing I said as a therapist more than any other thing to people, it is, you know, that's not about you, right? You know, that's about them. It's always about them. It's always, right. always about them. And so they, they need it to go in the, the file drawers and, and, uh, and be done with it so that it doesn't bleed into their lives. Because if that happened to you and you look so put together and you're what every 40 year old woman is trying to be from how you look, then it's too scary. It's too scary to allow that, that those same poisons that ravaged you are running around inside me. And that's what we keep learning more about you and I is how long the spike protein stays in your body. We still don't know. We just know that nobody told us it was this long. Tell us about the, you, you've, it's five or 6,000 people in your support group. And do you feel like they have, you're seeing a lot of commonalities or are you seeing that the spectrum of actual ways that it shows up in physical, emotional health is as broad as the day is long, or what are you finding as, cause you're as well connected as probably anybody in America to the, right. the injured, you call them the injured community, right? Tell us more about the injured community. Yeah. So the COVID vaccine injured community, it's, it's pretty big. The community right now is about uh, well over 30,000 individuals that I know of uh, registered members of our organization, react19.org, which is the first um, nonprofit that's been set up by the COVID vaccine injured, for the COVID vaccine injured. There's 12,700 registered there. Uh, we've done several surveys um, and we're doing several evaluations, different protocols and symptoms. Uh, right now we're finishing up an analysis on a survey of 1,000 participants. Um, and there's some symptoms that kind of correlate with a more severe indicator of the disease versus those that experience a mild, mild um, run of this disease. And by mild, I don't want to minimize it because it's still, you know, life changing and scary because people still can't work for months, but they are able to get better. Um, but if we're able to put those clues together, then, you know, we can figure out what's actually going on. Um, by and large of the 12,700 individuals that we know of, 
those that have vascular problems who have had thrombolytic events, those that have transverse myelitis, um, the vast majority of them have neurological components to their disease. So I'm talking postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which is where you have an issue where you can't get the blood up to your brain when you sit up or stand up for very long, which people don't understand how uh, debilitating that disease is. I have it myself. And anytime you go from laying down to sitting up or standing up, if your heart rate is beating so fast that you can't get the blood up to your brain, you're going to feel like you're passing out. You can't eat right. Um, you can't breathe right. You'll feel like you have someone sitting on your chest all the time. For some people, you'll have hormones dumping into your system, so you'll feel electrocuted. Uh, so POTS is a big one. Neuropathy is another big one. Uh, just what's, historically. What's POTS? Or POTS. So POTS is POTS. the posture orthostat, yeah. And then the other one is neuropathy. And historically, neuropathy has an onset in males at age 59. Uh, what we have found is that in our group, it is happening with females average age 35. Uh, and we reported this to the FDA. And we said, if you tease out your data to actual age and gender, you're going to find the safety signals for neuropathy. Uh, as, as we know, <laughs> that has not happened yet on their side. And I think that's probably due to convenience. Um, but be, the neuropathy can be especially frustrating because that's when you get the burning, the tingling. Uh, you can have problems happen with your vision, um, ocular issues. Tinnitus can also be uh, a, a version of that as well. Um, you can have muscle weakness, or you can also have muscle, like just muscle pain, deep tenderness in your skin and in your muscles. Um, my neuropathy was non-length dependent, so I have damage, um, you know, not at the very ends of the nerves, which is where it usually starts, you know, in a typical clinical setting. Um, but mine, you know, I have damage within certain parts of my, um, uh, nerve links throughout my body. So it was pretty obvious that that didn't happen naturally one because of my age, but also because of the type of nerve damage that it was. The IVAG has helped a lot with that. Alpha lipoic acid has helped a lot with that. All uh, right. Let's, let's slow down here. IVAG. IVAG. Yeah. So IVAG helped a lot. So spell so that out or say that out for me again. Alpha lipoic acid. And it's, oh, um, it's yeah, just you know a what supplement. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's actually something that neurologists will recommend for, for it. And then bentothiamine, which is a type of uh, vitamin B uh, supplement. So those have been really helpful with, I, uh, with, for neuropathy, the problem is is the immunotherapies like IVIG or plasmapheresis. They're extremely difficult to get, and, um, and if you go into a practitioner that doesn't believe you're having a problem to begin with, you're not going to get the testing that you need, so you can get the treatment that you need. And so we have people with progressive neuropathy where they feel like they're being burned from the inside out in their body all the time, and all it will take is a physician running a few tests to get the right, um, you know, the right diagnoses, which will then get the patient the right treatment. But if it's not happening, this isn't happening, then, you know, their medical teams are not going to be looking for it. Yeah, it's you, really just, tragic. you just have anxiety. You just have an yeah, anxiety exactly. problem. It's all in your head. The nerve damage you is in you your head. You need an SSRI. You have a deficiency <laughs> in an SSRI, so. The other aspect of this is autoimmunity. That's been a big one as well. Um, and this has been one that's popped up in the last couple of months. 
there's a autoimmune panel done out of cell trend in Germany that's showing um, anti-ACE2 antibodies, uh, which is specific to, you know, there's a lot of people that are long haulers, COVID long haulers that have this as well. So there's the correlation with long haulers and also anti-muscarinic antibodies. There's a whole panel. Um, The people in our group either come up positive for a lot of them or they come up positive for none. The vast majority come up positive for a lot of them. That gives you a pathway forward to figure out how to modulate your autoimmune condition, which opens the door in many ways. There's natural ways to deal with it. There's heavy-duty ways. You know, IVIG is another one for that. Um, There's, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff that people are working on with that. Um, Cellcept is one. B-cell therapy is another one. Some people are trying chemo, which is crazy. Um, But if you're... That's interesting because people people get neuropathy from chemotherapy. So we might be kind of in a vicious cycle with some of this stuff. Where definitely. Definitely. I mean, you know, a lot of times what we do to mask the symptoms increases the toxic load. And so then once the symptom wears off from masking the symptoms, we're circling the drain even more. So beware, beware that phenomenon. Yeah. And it's been kind of frustrating because we have all of these treatments that are available. Uh, One, the access to care is really limited. And then two, all of them have, you know, really severe um, adverse events, potentially like IVIG does as well. And so we're all sitting there like, well, okay, what kind of screw do we need? You know, like how much of a uh, adverse event do we want to take on? Everything has a risk. Um, and so, you know, but when you're suffering that bad, you'll take the risk, you know? And so that's, that's what we're doing, but hyperbaric oxygen has been helpful. Uh, red light therapy has been helpful. Healthy diet has been really, really helpful. Cutting out wheat, cutting out corn, cutting out dairy, um, for me, cutting out tomatoes as well. Um, those have been big, no alcohol, no fermented stuff. That's been huge as well. Um, and just eating really clean. So now, and I used to eat whatever I wanted all the time. And so now I eat on a schedule and I eat, you know, whole foods, uh, everything's fresh. And it it makes a really a substantial difference. Like that in and of itself took me from, you know, my brain buzzing all the time to it was calmed down enough that I could get out of my own suffering and you know, actually see what was going on. Yeah. My, my audience knows that my recovery was almost entirely, um, using food. I mean, there's aspects to my detoxification process that aren't food, but it was incredibly helpful to me to stop eating inflammatory foods. And then I have over time become an expert on what's inflammatory and what's not and what kind of impacts different foods have. So you know, we've put 18,000 people now through our detox, which isn't just, and we'll put a link down below. I'm going to put react19.org in the show notes below um, where they're doing these studies. And and Brianne is very much um, spearheading this whole thing because of all the sick people, she's maybe the most articulate, driven, educated. Um, maybe, I think maybe your husband having your back and him being such a high level dude is probably part of it. It probably um, helps. Put, I I call it stubborn. I don't know if I'm more articulate. I'm just more stubborn. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. 
it, with all the neurological stuff you have going on is how, you know, the stubborn, you know, I had a very stubborn child and I would just always remind myself, this is going to come in handy for her one day. This is all going to be very good when she's an adult and not under my roof. Um, yep. Yeah. I, I, you sent me a, a video a few days ago that you, I've sent you things and you're like, I, I can't watch that. And you sent me this and I was like, I don't know if I can watch this. And it was, let's have an honest talk about suicide. And it was a lot of you in the injured community um, getting together and just somebody saying the same thing over and over again, like you matter. We're here for you. Get help. Please don't go silent. Please don't be quiet. Please don't opt out. Like we need you. We can get through this together. We can get better. I mean, I've been trying to say that, like, I had a long time where I thought this is how the rest of my life is going to be. I don't want it. I don't want a life like this. And and that's why I didn't get the COVID-19 jab because I have said this out loud to my husband many times. I'd rather have a bullet to the brain. Right. I would rather have a 38 in the brain than go through that again. And so um, I, I watched it. I did watch that video and I'll share that video down below as well. But it was when I got to your husband talking that I just lost it. And he was just talking about what he had watched you go through. And it was wonderful though, at the end of it, he said, but she's getting better. Like things are getting, things are getting a lot better. So I'm really happy about that. I had said to you, you know what? The only thing is I want to share it with this friend of mine. That is my experiment. Like talking to my most hard left lifelong longest friend. Like I want to share it to her, but this one guy in it, his wife committed suicide. And he said that she had long hauler. And I was like, if I give that to her, she's just going to say, didn't you hear that the one who actually did commit suicide is long hauler? And you said, no, she actually had the vaccine too. Yeah, she got, she got vaccinated. And um, he reached out to me a couple, uh, I want to say it was probably 24 hours after she did it. And very early on, he was like, without question, I know that if she, had she not been vaccinated, she she would still be alive. And and from the conversations that I had had from her with her as well, it was the same scenario. I mean, she was suffering from long haulers, but she had recovered to about 75%, which is great. She was hopeful that she was going to get the vaccine and that would make her better because that was the marketing at the time. That's uh, that's what Robert Malone thought. He has said that. Mm -hmm. Here he is, the guy who invented the mRNA technology decades ago, and he had already had COVID. It's it's almost astonishing to me because he's so awake now. But he was he literally said on Joe Rogan, uh, "I got the jab because I heard that it would help with long haul COVID, and instead it just totally wrecked him." And I assume that's what happened with her too. Yeah. Yeah. And and for her, she had a similar reaction that I did, where the vibrations were just so horrific. There was no break. So she couldn't sleep. She couldn't eat. She couldn't, like, she had to have her feet up all the time because the neuropathy was so painful in her feet. And she had the severe brain fog. And the brain fog that drives you to suicidal ideology and thoughts, it's not because you're sad and because you want a way out. It's really, like, it's chemical. I mean, your whole countenance changes. I mean, I see it all the time in the groups. It's crazy. Uh, we've had close to 20 suicides uh, that I know of um, personally. Um, and, you know, one is too many. And we had three in two weeks in March. Um, and so it's, you know, it, it's, 
it's tragic because these are people that were young. They're, they were healthy. I mean, the last one was a mother of four. Uh, the one before that was a, uh, a uh, student in New York who had to move home with his parents because he was so sick. Uh, the one before that was a mother of two. I mean, it's, it's, and these are not people that are, you know, mentally unstable. These are people that their bodies are just completely falling apart. The torture doesn't stop at all. And there's no end in sight. And so the only way to make the suffering stop is to end it. Um, these are all people that we're just hopeful we can get them to hang on just long enough that they can get the protocol set in place that can give them some relief because there are ways of getting better. There are, but we need to start talking about it and we need to have people being willing to talk about it, which is why in the um, awareness campaign through react19.org that we're launching, it's about let's talk about it. You matter um, because these people do need to be seen. If we, um, just like any other you know, socially taboo topic that we've had in the past. These are real human lives that are behind the taboo, right? Um, we still need to recognize them and acknowledge their suffering because otherwise they're invisible. And when they're invisible, um, really sad things happen, you know, like uh, people taking their own lives. And these are people that, you know, their mothers, their friends, their kids no longer have their parents, you know, they deserve to have their mom around. Um, we owe that to these people that stepped up to do what they thought was the right thing. We shouldn't shut them out. We shouldn't abandon them. If anything, we should lean in. We should rally around them. We should, we should probably talk about, you know, I don't like, first time I talked to you, I said, please don't say anti-vaxxers because it's a gaslighting term. I've kind of shifted my thinking since then because I think a lot of people are embracing that, myself included. It's like, I saw a survey that it's like 23% of the American public now considers being an anti-vaxxer an important part of their identity, which is astonishing given the fact that you could, you know, I, I learned when I stopped vaccinating my children, I told my girlfriends when we were away at a weekend trip and we took our little kids with us and I said something and it was like I threw a turd in the pool. Everybody went dead quiet. And then one of my friends started just full on attacking me. And that was the last time I ever talked about it. I did not even tell my children's father. And, and now I've worked with four different families where they're divorced and the mom doesn't want the children to get jabbed, but the dad that she's divorced from is trying to force it. And the courts side with him the court side with the parent who wants to do it. Um, I want to ask you, you've, you've also been attacked by people who think you're not anti-vax enough. We talk about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm not anti-vax enough and I'm not pro-vax enough. So I'm, I'm stuck in the middle. I get arrows from both sides all day, every day. And in reality, I'm just a person who am just like anyone else is doing my best and making decisions that I think or I had thought were the best for myself in the past. But at the same time, I also 1000% respect everyone's opinion. I respect everyone's choices. So if you want to go get vaccinated, go get vaccinated. If you don't, don't. I do firmly believe in informed consent. And I know for a fact that informed consent is not being provided. Um, The arrows can be pretty prickly at times, um, especially when they come nonstop. 
um, it's, I think it's important for people that are in my situation that are sick and suffering, um, to know, tune it out. It doesn't matter. You know who you are, you know what you stand up for, you know, you know that you're doing your best and that's all that matters. Other people's opinions do not matter. We're in these big communities online, telegram groups, especially because it's kind of like the only place that we can really speak freely without being censored. And I've seen a disturbing trend, even in my own telegram group. And I've told the people who say this to me, how much it bothers me. (laughs) My own brother said to me this weekend, I almost laugh when I hear we were specifically talking about Taylor Hawkins, who is the second Foo Fighter, not there's the, the stage manager died suddenly. Taylor Hawkins, who's five years younger than me, just suddenly died. And so, somehow they got the toxicology report back in two days and they knew what was in his bloodstream. Not sure, not sure I'm totally um bought in on that. That doesn't really make sense. I had a cousin who died and they suspected tox stuff, and it literally took almost two years to right. get the results back. So not it doesn't make any sense to me. But anyways, I was discussing it with him and he says, I almost laugh now. Um, when these things happen, because we need, people need to wake up. People have got to wake up about this. And I was like, what? Like, you know, that one of those people could be my son, right? You know, I couldn't, I couldn't stop my son from doing it. Right. I sent him all the information in the world. I begged him. I bribed him. I bribed him. And he still hasn't admitted to me that he did, but I'm 99.9% sure he did. And so I'm like, that doesn't really make any sense. I mean, it could be John's sister who had a baby a couple months after she got the job. But Cherie Romney told me this weekend, I want to do over. I want to go back and do my um, my first interviews over because I've come a long way. And she said, I feel very, very differently than I did in the beginning. I was like, well, Cherie, you were like a deer in headlights. You You had your son who can't play the sport that he lives for and he was totally healthy and he didn't want it. And you insisted. And then you have your husband who ends up in the hospital full of his lungs, full of blood clots. Right. You know, no, I don't think anybody judges you for where you were right then. And you're pregnant. You know, I don't think I knew until just now you're saying you only had one shot. I only had one. Oh, and, and all of them did too, all of the Romneys and she's had shingles four times. We're going to have her here on the show too, to do a follow-up. I get, I get asked about her every single day, every single day since, you know, the morning that her husband went to the hospital with more blood clots than they could count in his lungs. She reached out to me and I said, shall we do a story on this right now? Do you want to talk about it? And she did. And I got, I got censored off of bit shoot twice. We got censored off of BitChute faster than YouTube. That's crazy. Yeah. Telegram Telegram groups are now being censored. So they just, all these people who own all these platforms must be, they must be under just incredible pressure because I know how Telegram was founded and it was by people who are ferocious about free speech. Okay. So just, this is totally sideways, but I just need to know this. I think a lot of us heard you read an absolutely heartbreaking suicide note, but we don't know who that was and what happened. And not that you have to say the person's name, but can you give us some closure on that story? So this one is just, that one's a classic example of what can happen. Um, she was a injured in a group 
uh, we had been talking off and on for several months. Um, and these are all people that aren't like, they're like, they're, they don't come to us and say, I want to die. I want to die. That's not what they're doing. They're, they, the warning signs, uh, that we've found, it's been more people are like, I, I don't know how I'm supposed to live like this for another 30 years. I don't know how I'm supposed to live like this for the rest of my life. I don't know how I can keep going like this. That's the warning sign that we're seeing. Um, she didn't even have those. She just was like, I can't believe they're doing this to us. I'm so sick. My doctor did X, Y, Z. Um, her doctor has her blood on his hands. Um, and so she sent me that note. And because I was really, really busy, I didn't see it. And I didn't see it for five, six days. So after I saw it, it was way too late. So I sent a message back. Um, you know, it's like, hey, are you there? And she wasn't. So her husband responded back. Um, most of the people, when this happens, we, you know, we always do like a, a review after we hear about someone and figure out, okay, how did they fall through the cracks? Is there something that we missed? And it seems like by and large family support is most important. So even if your spouse, if you don't believe your spouse, you know, um, but they're telling you this is happening and, and you can tell that there's, there's a little bit of a fog going on in their personality. Um, I would highly recommend taking that seriously, validate them and get them the help that they need and 1000% support them. Um, from the people that we are working with, the vast majority are coming through the fog. Okay. Those of us that are way far out, you know, we figured this out through diet and those other protocols. Uh, there is a way out. Um, and the way out is to be with your family, to be with your friends and to stick through it. Um, I remember for weeks, you know, every single day with the pain and the suffering, I just had to tell myself over and over and over every day, you have to live like this. You have to live like this. And it was like a tough love, but I was able to do that because my husband was a thousand percent supportive of what was going on. He knew who I was before this. So he knew that was not who I really was. He knew the suffering was real. So I was able to focus on myself um, and really work on trying to figure out how to get through it day by day. Um, the fog lifted, you know, the light came back. Um, the days, you know, they're getting easier and easier. They are hard, but they are getting easier. Um, but at the same time, like, it's, it's a fight I never, ever would have imagined that I would have to fight not just for myself, but for other people. I never, ever would have imagined that there was this level of corruption within the United States government, within, you know, uh, corporations, within media. I, I had no idea. I was totally blind to it before, but now I see it. And so the, the very best comment that I've ever gotten <laughs> that I've seen is someone said, um, it was after an interview that my husband did. Um, they said, man, this family got red-pilled in the worst kind of way. And I think it's true. I think it's true. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I won't, you know, continue to validate the other the other side or whatever, but I am going to keep advocating for humanity as a whole for us all to come together and start listening like we're human beings instead of branding people as anti-vax or pro-vax or, you know, Republican or Democrat or whatever you want to call it, liberals, conservatives, and all of the derogatory terms that come with all of those um, we're all in this as human beings. And until we come to the table and start listening to each other, we're just going to keep tearing each other apart. You know, 
every experience I have in life that's painful opens my eyes to this world of suffering that's like mine that I didn't see before. Whether it be divorced people, I just don't didn't know divorced people. I hung out with all married people. And then suddenly I was divorced and sort of ostracized from the culture that I lived in. And there's a whole new world of pain that I had to metabolize. And now I'm happy and I'm well, and I'm on the other side of it. And not because I got married again, because I didn't for 12 years. And the whole vaccine injury thing, I, I kind of want to plead with the people who might consider themselves anti-vax getting back to my earlier point that it was really painful for me to say on telegram and then have my brother say what he did. He kind of laughs. There's people in telegram saying the same thing. I just, I kind of laugh at these people when they drop dead and it's like, well, that's because of your own stupid choice. And I'm like, okay, do you hear yourself? Because when a person makes one wrong decision, have you made a wrong decision? based on faulty information due to no fault of your own. I I completely agree. I understand why these people get in the mindset they do because every single one of us who have stood up to the vaccine agenda, every single one of us who have said, this mask thing is is a load of BS. We don't want to wear the mask. We get kicked out of stores. I've been kicked off an airline. We've all been attacked and attacked and attacked. We've been attacked more in the last two years than we ever or the whole rest of our lives put together. And I had a rough fourth grade, right? Like all the kids would laugh at me. Somebody said I had holes in my underwear and that defined my whole year in fourth grade, or at least that's how I remember it. I had a rough time here and there in my life. The last two years, I can't, I just, I can't imagine what you all have been through. And I just want to say to everybody who's just so mad because you've been gaslit for being an anti-vaxxer or for even questioning it, don't forget your compassion. Bree, Bree just trusted that the people who were telling her they wanted to keep her safe were really trying to keep her safe. Is this a crime? Has she paid enough? Has she paid a big enough price? Can we let it go now? Can we come back together? Is there any possibility of healing this breach? I mean, I find myself only hanging out with my friends that I can speak openly with about th- about this, and none of them are vaccinated, and I miss my vaccinated friends. So I, I just want to lot. thank you. I thank you. Thank you for that. I think there are a lot of people that are in this area where we're at sitting, where they're fatigued by the fighting. You know, they're they're tired of the fighting. They, you know, I think that it's time for the goodness of people to really rise up and we can be the loud ones. You know, I know that we're there. The media doesn't cover the the reasonable people. They don't, they look for the most outlandish of everything, but you know, we need each other. And as long as we're eating ourselves, we're not going to get anywhere. We're not. I totally agree. And you know, one thing that being vaccine injured and having to claw my way way back to health, one thing that it's done for me is that I don't take my health for granted. And I, I do a lot of things that probably if you look at it over the long haul are making my life healthier and happier. 
Anyway, there were things that needed to be done. My friend, Tom Lodi, who is a, is a Columbia trained medical doctor, calls it the divine tap on the shoulder. Like this thing happened for you and you probably had some toxic, toxic exposures in the past. You know, you ate whatever you wanted, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And you don't realize the toll that that's taking. And a lot of people in functional medicine will call it like the rain bucket or the rain barrel effect or whatever. You know, you kind of have like this toxic uh, load in your body, in our, especially in our fat tissues. Not that you had very much of that, but you know, even in our organs. And then there's one toxic exposure and it completely tips you over. And I think that's what happened. I ate a garbage diet going up to um, my vaccine injury and I paid a heavy price for it and you, and, and getting, getting that shot. And I think I was already teetering. Like my immune system was already weakened from a lot of bad choices that I had made. And you know, I just want to tell you in closing how grateful I am that you speak up. I think you're helping the vaccine injured. I think you're helping the people who got the vaccine and need to wake up because they're one shot away from being cast off from society, like all of us unwashed who never got one. But I also just want to tell you that, you know, like this morning I got up and worked out and then I took my kayak out in the ocean. and. I still, at the age of 55, even though I feel great at 55 and I don't have any health conditions, even though it was 25 years ago and I was 30 years old and I felt incredibly sick and I felt so guilty about being a crappy mom because I did the minimum because that's all I could, it's all I could do. Barely, barely functioned, made sure they were fed, basically. They had a stack of library books. I was really proud that I had a stack of library books. They're all good readers now. I try to try to focus on the good that came out of it. But I don't take my health for granted. And I do the things that probably lower my cancer risk and my neurodegenerative risk, like for Parkinson's and multiple sclerosis and ALS. I'd rather have cancer than those things. And you're going to bring your toxic load down and you're going to keep healing because your body's a miracle. And I just want you to know that, that at 30, I was in suffering and there was no one to talk to about it. No one. And I feel great at 55 and I have a spectacular life by anybody's standards. And so there's, there's light on the other end of this, Brianna, I really believe that. And so anything you want to leave everyone with? No, I think, I think you uh, wrapped it up really well. I really appreciate it. I really do. Okay. We're also glad to hear that you're doing better and we'll check back in with you soon. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Take care. 